Uh, real estate, real estate investing, it's an open book test, right? It's just who's willing to read the book, who's willing to take the test. Welcome to For Rent, conversations to better the rental industry. I'm your host, Mackenzie Wilson. Whether you're a first-time homeowner, an accidental landlord, a seasoned investor, or perhaps just a curious tenant, this is the podcast for you. Join the conversations. We cover best practices, industry news, and one-on-ones with thought leaders in the rental industry. We'll go deeper to cover the lessons learned and get to the root cause of challenges facing the rental industry today. We'll empower you with the information you need to be a better landlord or a more informed tenant. Let's get to it. Hello and welcome to another episode of For Rent Conversations to Better the Rental Industry. I'm Mackenzie Wilson, your host. In this episode, I got to sit down and have a great interview and conversation and really get to know Erwin Cito. Erwin Cito has been around the real estate community for a very long time, going back to prior to 2009. So he's been through a few ups and downs in the real estate cycle. The conversation was more just around who he is. I got to know him a lot more. So if you don't know him, this would be a great episode to, to tune in and listen. And it's just packed with tons of tips and tricks and perhaps insights and perspective I can give you as a real estate investor. It will really give you the context to be informed and to help weather some of the challenging times that we are on with real estate. And we see those headlines in the news that uh, that get the blood glowing that make you a little bit worried uh, or apprehensive. And um, this conversation with Erwin just kind of sells a lot of that stuff out. Really quite enjoyable. So without further ado, let's get to it. Okay, so so let's let's start from the beginning. Um, what why why did you start investing in real estate? Why did you pick this? What was the catalyst? Your motivation? Like how did you get to where you are now? Like what what started this? When I started, I was pretty young, out of university at my first job. I'd always been interested in making money. It's just in my nature that I've always wanted to make money in my sleep. I was always interested in investments. So naturally, my first interest was stocks. So at least my first serious go was at stocks. I don't know what it is about my life, but I had some terrible timing. Uh, the year I graduated school was uh, just after September 9-11. Oh. So my stock picks didn't do so well. <laughs> I don't think anyone's stock picks did well. Yeah. <laughs> because 9-11 was followed by the dot-com bubble burst. Then I had a, had a good work career. You know, I'd saved up some money. It's like, oh, I'm giving a good run at the stock thing. And then the financial crisis hit. <laughs> so I don't think anyone's stock picks did well at that point either. This but again, 08, I was, I was, this is 08, 09? 08, 09. But again, I wasn't sophisticated enough to, to know that to, I didn't have the tough skin. I didn't have the, the mentors in my life to teach me that, you know, you know be greedy when people, others are fearful, right? And one of the greatest regrets in my, like, yeah, the great, we'll call it right now. The greatest regret I have in my life is we only bought one house in 2009. That's it, right? Up to that point, I think we had about four houses, something around that. And we, and then just out of fear, we only bought one property. Like we knew it was the right thing to do was buy property at the, at the, at the bottom of the crash, but we didn't have the, didn't have the guts or the gumption tough, to, eh? to buy more. Yeah, it's tough. People, yeah. And then people, people always say the time in the market, there's a lot of people who say they'll time the market and then it's just hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to emotionally, it's hard to financially as well. Because actually during the credit crisis, a lot of banks were not lending. <laughs> yeah. So even if you wanted to buy the dip, a lot of people couldn't get a mortgage. So I, I, I started pivoting more towards real estate just because my stocks and mutual funds kept getting killed. And at the same time, our real estate portfolio was doing wonderful during the financial crisis. Because there was no credit. People couldn't buy. Life was still happening. Divorce is still, still happening. People still need a roof over their head. And so our rents actually were going up. During that, uh, that release that we didn't feel the recession that badly here. At least I didn't personally, but yeah, our rents, uh, I remember we put, we had one vacancy and the first day, the first weekend, we had four applications for a higher rent than we previously rented out for. It's like, I was like, wow, this real estate thing's working out, you know, puts yeah. more effort into it. And that was actually that, that point, that was when I joined rain because I was trying to just try to level up at that point. Makes sense. Well, yeah. and to add on your, on your, I bought my first place in 2009. It was a 1970s converted condo into apartment or it, it was gone from being owned by one person to they, they tiled it out. 
And just in the Beltline in the Calgary area, very close to downtown, say like a great location. The building was old. So while I, I got experience being the condo board, bought in uh, 2009 for, uh, what did I buy for? Way too much. 200,000 or 180. No, it was 200,000. <laughs> too much. I sold it 20, after COVID, 2021 for like 140,000. So I held Ooh. it for 10 years and yeah, yeah. So old product, it had just tons of repairs, deferred maintenance in the building. Um, we did new balcony replacements. We had parts of the building where you'd go and touch the copper pipe and it was paper thin and it needed to be replaced. It's just, it's just again, old. And there was so much new built product in the area. It wasn't desirable. Plus mm. one of Down Campbell, as we talked about, great uh, real estate economist. The value is in when you got dirt in the title. And it was a condo. We had a huge surplus when, when Calgary crashed in 014, 015, the oil market slowed down. All these projects came online because they had a long build cycle. Demand was already gone. More supply came on and made a huge surplus of condos for, I think they're just starting to go up in price now. And we're in 2023. Maybe maybe they went up last year, like modestly. So if you had bought condos in the mid-20s or mid-teens, like 2014, 2015, almost to like two years ago, you would have not made any money on, on the appreciation side just because we had so much and, and the fundamentals weren't there. So lessons learned as well. I can, I can talk about them too. And uh, I think the tenacity to invest in stocks is... It's more scarier and challenging because it goes so fast, whereas real estate's a laggard. And I appreciate mm-hmm. that because it gives me time to formulate my plan and make a decision to move. It's not just that. I, I would say uh, you ha- uh, if you put in the work, you can be an insider, right? And then insiders always have an advantage. <laughs> uh, you, know, you, know, you know how to better renovate. You know how, where to find tenants. You know what tenants you want, right? Um, mm. By being in the business, yes. Yeah, by being by being in the business, by being a professional, by being an expert, you can outperform the market. You can outperform other investors. You know, I will be. I, I always vow to be rented while other people are not rented, right? Yeah. There's there's always renters out there. They're gonna live in my place. Someone let someone else be vacant. Yeah, you know, and I would agree with that statement too. Is when I got into the business, I became a landlord really when Alberta was getting was getting tumbled, right? So I came in around. 10 to 12 to 13 percent vacancy so that meant at least one out of every 10 uh, landlords were vacant so i had to learn aggressively how to find and keep renters and i actually appreciated that because it's better to learn the chops when the market was tough because then when it's easy you, know, you have appreciation of this is not the norm mm-hmm. yeah and it's it's nice now like i'm um it's easy to rent out but you build better skill sets to market and 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 um, really learn your demographics to appeal to when 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 the tough is going mm-hmm. and people are leaving the market. And then again, if like uh, and just always refining, always getting better. You know, I learned about a lot about how to write ads at Rain, and I've learned a lot more after that and studying marketing. Uh, technology gotten a lot better in terms of tenant screening services. You know, single key did not exist when I started out. Yep, we were doing the old paper way. Yep. It's like, you know, paper applications for Equifax. Yep. <laughs> and then, there, then the privacy issues even started coming up. We weren't even allowed to get reports back. And even if you did, remember the old codes? Remember the, like, the letter number code to indicate what the, someone's credit, what the credit was like? Not just the number? Yeah, well, and it was, it was an older company, PVS, and you'd have to go punch into a form and make sure you didn't do a typo. You just spent 25 or 30 bucks. Yeah, each time. Yeah. Or and you're hoping like, that the, the paper that you got back was legible. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was messy. It was messy. Um, yeah. But yeah, but here in Ontario, the market really took care of us. Uh, looking back, uh, we, there are a lot of things we didn't know what we were doing. Sort of lucky, unlucky, I was able to have a do-over because uh, actually my, my divorce, we sold, we sold, I sold everything that I owned with my ex-wife because uh, our joint venture partners were my in-laws. So I sold, we, I had, uh, I sold every single property that I had uh, my name on. Wow. Uh, yeah. And then, the, you know, part of the benefit is generally people, when they talk about divorce, usually people walk away with like massive amounts of debt and their credit's destroyed. I walked away with a good chunk of money wow. <laughs> and I was able to go buy a couple of houses with that money. But the nice thing, but again, the, but the nice thing about doing the reset was uh, I was able to now redo my portfolio and my vision, mm-hmm. uh, less old property. Like for example, you're talking about your property with like paper thin copper. One of our first properties had a dirt floor. 
Oh, in the foundation or in the cellar or whatever you call it? Yeah, I don't even know what you call it. Cellar, I guess technically it would be a cellar. Uh, yeah. It was just because the house was probably built in either 1860s or 1880s. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So just again, like not knowing about it, not having enough context. Uh, like, the, like the saying goes, it's all relative, right? You need a, once you've had seen a large number of properties, you understand what the top 20% is, right? I'd seen like 10 properties. <laughs> I think we bought four of them. Really stupid. We didn't have the right realtor on our team at all. <laughs> uh, but again, I was able to, we were able to sell them all off. Uh, I was able to walk away with a bunch of money. Uh, so highly recommend anyone at any stage of their life to be investing in real estate. So they're able to walk away with money should ever, they ever have a partnership breakdown. Because it's like the running saying in divorce is, you know, you want to lose the fastest way to lose money, get divorced. Well, I walked away with a bunch of money. And again, I was able to uh, redo my portfolio the way I wanted. I started buying, I bought a triplex in Hamilton to live in because I was going to house hack before. And I was, I was like the house hack before the term house hacking existed. Mm -hmm. I bought a house for like 300 grand, needed a ton of work. I think it was the farmer's property. (laughs) So it was like a, I think it was an 1890s house, needed a bunch of work, gutted it. Made it beautiful. Uh, bought a couple of student rental properties as well, um, all focusing on cash flow. Then eventually met Cherry. Cherry, <laughs> Cherry was always interested in real estate. Uh, for those who don't know Cherry, um, uh, my wife is Cherry Chan. She's an accountant. Uh, she was actually a manager at Loblaws at the time uh, oh, in cool. corporate, corporate financial reporting. So she was at head office, uh, and she was already she was always interested in real estate. Uh, but like, what the mistake I find most investors do is they're they're always looking in the immediate area. Not a wrong, not wrong to look in the immediate area we live in for investment property. It's just that she lived pretty close to downtown Toronto. So it's next to impossible to cash flow anything there. And then so we met. And what time frame was this? Like what year? Just to give context for market. And I think I met Cherry around 2011. And then I showed her what I was like, what I was looking at buying, like uh, specifically student rentals uh, for Brock University students. I think I was getting four fifty a room times six, so I was getting like twenty seven hundred dollars a room for twenty sorry twenty seven hundred dollars a month for a house. I actually we, the house that uh, I pitched her on to joint venture. Cherry <laughs> so, actually did a, did a joint venture as we were dating uh, a property uh, in St. Catharines. I think we paid around two thirty five two forty five for. Wow. Yeah, it's nineteen sixties build, so it's like the newest house in my portfolio ever. Nineteen sixties. Yeah. <laughs> That's what mine are. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just on terrace. It's an old, it's an old place. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't need that much work. I think we put in. Had to do, had to do a new roof. Had to do a basement. I don't think that cost us more than thirty five grand. And again, I'm doing. I was getting twenty seven hundred dollars rent a month. Still own the property. What was your carrying costs at that time with like taxes, debt servicing, insurance, all that kind of stuff? I'm sure even like fully loaded with aggressively loaded, even with like property management and vacancy allowance and everything, mm-hmm. like on paper, we've cash flow probably like 600 bucks. But again, wow. like being aggressive, right? With aggressive expenses, right? In reality, probably do a lot better than that. And then thankfully, uh, us student landlords, we did craft during the pandemic when schools locked down. Uh, a lot of students did not stay. A lot of students, some students did stay. So it wasn't like horrible, horrible. Uh, mo- many landlords lost like one or two tenants out of like, like out of like six or seven. Mm-hmm. So then the market sucked uh, for students, for student landlords. Uh, what happened was many landlords sold or they pivoted to rent towards families. I was actually speaking to my mentor last week. He's the one who taught me how to first how to do student rentals. I asked him how his rentals were doing. He was oh, fine. Like he, he was one of the ones that pivoted. He, he did uh, all duplex conversions. So he's just renting to regular boring families. And I, like, and I told him like, hey, did you know rents are up 40% year over year for student rentals? He's like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> but yeah, I, I predicted though uh, that cycles happen, the pendulum swings. It's not like people are gonna stop going to university. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anything, our, our international student body seems to be growing. <laughs> so, and they all need housing. Uh, again, so a bunch of supply got taken off the market yeah. as student landlords pivoted. Uh, but I stayed and I told my clients, you know, this is going to, this is going to switch the other way. And so, yeah, all my clients are reporting at least a 40% uh, increase in rents. Yeah. There was an article this fall too, with, uh, students so desperate trying to find housing out in, I'm assuming the Toronto, well, the popular areas of Ontario, the, the golden horseshoes, you guys call it. And they had students that were somewhere going into shelters, make ends meet while they're still trying to find accommodations, which is crazy. It's crazy. 
So this may be the jerk part of me coming out, <laughs> but I would say all this, all the, to me, all the writing on the wall, uh, real estate, real estate investing, it's an open book test, right? It's just who's willing to read the book, who's willing to take the test. Yeah, fair enough. Well, so let, let, let's take it a bit different. So for the, um, if we got people are listening that haven't been to real estate the first time, what's, what's your first What's your go-to tips or first few things say, if you're gonna start doing real estate, what should you be doing? For most people, most of the time, real estate as a side hustle makes the most sense. Uh, I'm gonna be contrary to a lot of the marketing out there, but people who are like pushing people towards quitting jobs. I've personally, and how I, my wife and I practice is we have multiple streams of income. So we have businesses that generate income. We have a rental portfolio that we would love to generate more income, but we focus more on growing it. <laughs> <laughs> in, ter- uh, in terms of like uh, high, le- we, we're not a massive leverage. I think we're about fifty percent loan to value, but we've levered several several properties in order to grow our portfolio. I think everyone needs to take a deep look at themselves in terms of what they want to do, what their goals are, and then that will drive them towards what they do in terms of investment. So, for example, even though I may not buy new construction condos, I don't think it's the worst investment for certain people like rich people who can afford massive negative cash flows who want something very, very simple, right? I can't, I'm not going to argue with that person. Uh, but my go-to is uh, generally student rentals and uh, duplex conversions. I'll even buy turnkey duplexes because uh, in today's market, I'd actually say that's, that makes more sense to buy something turnkey since labor and material costs are so high for renovations. Uh, you can eliminate a lot of the labor risk and renovation risk uh, by just buying something turnkey. I would also say even as good as an investor as you are, you're only good as your team. Uh, so for example, I have, uh, I have one client and one acquaintance who had their butts handed to them in Sudbury. Uh, even though the fundamentals of the town seemed pretty good, they couldn't assemble a team of realtor, of contractor, of handy people, right? Because uh, uh, that's where they fell apart. They fell apart in the execution of uh, mainly the renovation and the maintenance of the property, right? Which led to vacancy, which led to failure of investment. Yeah, I would definitely say that operation side is always so it's always looked over so so often it's you don't realize how much money you can make by saving money. And then something you and I have talked about as well is uh, growing slowly. Uh, you know, I think in my career, so I'm I consider myself, you know, I've done well over 10,000 hours of real estate investing. <laughs> so by definition, I've, I've achieved mastery. I still don't think I know that much. <laughs> Even still at my level, I think in my entire career, I only had two, property vac- two properties vacant at the same time. That's the most I will accept in my portfolio. It just happened that we, we, were, in the, we were in the middle of a renovation and another, and another property popped up that fit our, fit our criteria that we couldn't say no to. It's funny because some realtors just talk too much. Uh, realtors, I love them. You know, I always say like eight or nine out of 10 realtors are, are people people. This like the this like the help people like to and they're chat and they're chatty uh they're not business people uh, now this gentleman was a was a really good example uh he told us that this was his very this is his last listing he's ever going to do because he's about to retire and uh he was really hoping that we can get this deal done because he did not want to take out pay for another ad in the newspaper because that's how he's advertising it yeah it, it was not on the internet it was not on mls.ca or oh. realtor.ca right hmm. old school you know how we did the offer? Fax machine. <laughs> wow. We, I had to fax in the offer. He had to fax me back the offer. <laughs> he had a pager. <laughs> Didn't have a cell phone. <laughs> so the gentleman was a little on the older side. Yeah, sounds uh, like it. Very lovely individual. It's very, he, he operates his business very differently than I do. You know, I think I've watched too much Law & Order or something. So... I, I, how I do business is more as if uh, I have a fiduciary duty to my client and to protect their best interests, like to the fullest of my ability versus this gentleman was just like, I don't know. <laughs> like, like, you know, again, like you're a realtor, you're listing a property, your job is to market the property. How is it not on the internet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is probably like 2012 ish. There's no excuse it should be not be no, on the internet. Not, not even that time, for sure. It's just, he's on his way out and he's like, oh, I don't need to learn anything new. I'll just get it done the way I, I've been doing it for the last 30 plus years, probably. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he, we had way more experience than I did. But again, we had to do this deal. 
we picked it up for like 20 under asking. So we paid under 200 grand for it. <laughs> even got, a, got even got a reduction on the inspection because we found some stuff in the in the, in the crawl space. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, he couldn't join me in the crawl space to show for me to show it to him, but he believed yeah. me. <laughs> so, uh, so two things I'm, I'm just thinking of here. Uh, one, I want to just pivot back quickly to something I found super interesting is talking about student rentals in Alberta. Student rentals are not as desirable as they are in Ontario. And I didn't quite realize this until coming back and forth and being on board with Silky and having more conversations with uh, out-of-province investors and landlords is we can adjust rent quite more liberally with our legislation here in Alberta. Uh, you know, of course, it has to be within a reasonable amount or else it can get shot down too. But for you guys, it's advantageous to have that turnover because it allows you to keep parity with, with market rates. Where I look at that as just more work. Correct. Uh, I'll also add to that though, depending on where you're investing, in my experience, it's oftentimes the student profile is a better profile than the, than the local tenant. I could see that. Because we're not talking about downtown Toronto where you get like tenants that make six figures. Yeah. <laughs> if we're talking about like Hamilton, you'll have a very different tenant profile. Often, and they, a lot of them, a lot of these people will not use single key to apply because <laughs> they may not have a phone. They may not have the internet skill. They're like that. Yeah. Uh, versus my, my clientele for my student rentals, you know, <laughs> I've had groups show up in Porsches. They all dress way better than I do. They're wearing $300 running shoes. Yeah. You know what I mean? They have considerably more disposable income than my local, than some, any of my local tenants would. Interesting. So, so you, you've highlighted how, how important ten, um, demographics are for tenants. How do you, how would one go about figuring out what their demographic is? How would I do some research in my area? You got tips around that? Easiest thing is just talk to other landlords, especially property managers, right? It's so easy. Like I love, uh, I love talking to people who have, who have, um, who what I call have access to multiple data points, mm. right? So for example, like my coach coaches many realtors across Ontario. So when she tells me that open houses are busy, she has multiple data points that multiple open houses are busy, mm. right? Versus you talk to an individual realtor, they may not know what the entire market is across Ontario. Now, we're going back to talking to property managers. Property managers manage, you know, 40, 50, 300 doors. They can tell you what exactly what the market is like and exactly what they'd like as their tenant profile, right? And they can tell you exactly what, what areas to be investing in. And they have nothing to sell usually. Yeah. So it's just helping you out. Yeah. And like of, of course, they, wanna, they usually want to guide you towards an easier property that will attract an easier tenant so they have an easier job should they work for you. <laughs> so it's way easier than people think. Uh, I think people are mistaken when they just try to do everything online searches. You really need to get out to events, understand your own values, and then find people who match your values, uh, and then go from there. Make friends. Buy people lunch. This goes back to the tip that you, you said. I think it's worth highlighting, um, Erwin, is, is having a great professional team around you and this is like an auxiliary kind of portion of it. They're not really directly in your team, but they're in the business, they're in the field and they know enough to help you guide and avoid a couple of lamoids that could really make you or break you in this business, even though it seems so not, I guess, secondary, but like it's, 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 if you know, and know enough to know, you don't know anything, then you're smart enough to go ask the questions and find the people that give you the answers you don't know. When you, when you don't know what you don't know, there's the problems you can get into because you don't know any better to, to even look for an answer that's out there because the question won't even come to you. Hey there, sorry for the quick interruption. This podcast is all based on the collective wisdom of everyone. It's interactive. We absolutely need your input and feedback. So if there's a comment, a question, a best practice that you've learned that relates to an episode or just something that's come across your mind you think would be great for the show. We are all about taking this collective wisdom to better the rental industry. Please, please share with us, good or bad, we'll take it all. I've got tough skin. Um, you can send your questions and concerns and feedback all to forrent at singlekey.com. Okay, let's get you right back in that episode. Thank you so much. Find experts, you know, like like, uh, like the book Who Not How, right? Uh, all these people are offering courses out there. Yeah, I think it's I think it's wonderful. People want to get educated, uh, but again, I think like ninety five percent of my clients still have their day jobs. A lot yeah. of them enjoy their work. 
And even if they don't enjoy the work, I always joke with them, like, as if you can't find another job. <laughs> right. But like the one you got, I'm pretty sure your competitor is hiring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But my point is to build a team of experts. Yeah. Ones who share the same values as you do. I think it's often gets lost. And, and then, you know, take some time to understand what your values are. And then also something I learned from Rain was, you know, decide who your who you want your customer to be, your customer to be. So, for example, I've chosen students and middle income folks. My preference is not to have lower income folks in my life because life is short. As much as I like money, I don't want to be working with a tenant profile that struggles for money and then becomes my problem as their landlord. Because if I'm their landlord, I'm probably their number one expense in life. <laughs> right? So I don't want to have these battles and I may be leaving money on the table. So I'm going, I'm, what I'm talking to is that I don't buy apartment buildings because in my markets, apartment buildings are generally at best lower middle income or lower or upper lower middle income. Sorry, upper lower income. Again, that's not what people want to spend more time in with my, in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just my own preference in how I run my business. You know, I know other, pe- other people can do whatever they want, but my point is decide for yourself who you want your customer to be, right? So for example, I have friends who are passionate about recreational properties. I have one friend who targets specifically weddings. So her properties are meant for um, where the bridal party will stay. And they have, she has a large property. So then uh, the people can rent chairs from her and actually have the party, a wedding done on the property, right? But she's passionate about it. So that's, that's cool. what she wants to do, right? Not for me at all. <laughs> Ask my wife. I'm not the most sensitive person. I probably want to communicate well with the bride. <laughs> yeah. But uh, my friend, my friend, she she loves it, right? And too many people go out real estate investing from just a pure money perspective. Anything that you do, your work, your business, and I consider real estate investing a business. It should fit your life. Mm-hmm. Should make your life fit it, right? So I have some other rules. For example, I don't invest anywhere uh, an hour drive from me. You know, I've I've blown a rain for a long time. All these people were saying, oh, buy buy an Alberta, buy an Alberta. I'm like, that plane ticket will wipe out a lot of my cash flow. (laughs) Plus, I'm not that that, that ambitious. I'm just going to stay buying locally here. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Well, and and like the complexities too of of investing from uh, remotely scared me where I haven't, I invest in my own backyard. Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate enough being in Calgary, the numbers did do work. And mm-hmm. kind of still do. There's there's not much to buy right now, but yeah. So you know, like you said, you, you've highlighted like it's not a race. It's, it, you can't time the market. It's the time in the market. I think I got that from you. I like that that saying. Uh, yeah, knowing the type of product you want to rent to, you can get really granular. And I don't think enough people when they first start out know what that means until they have already kind of got into and have committed to a property and they realize. Yeah, maybe I would like to do something a bit differently with mm-hmm. young professionals or or the students or right. the retirement demographic, whatever makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why we do tours as well, right? If people, like we host tours, uh, we actually tour sometimes our prop- our clients' properties that are mid-renovation. Mm-hmm. So we can, we can show them exactly what it looks like, uh, why, we, why our client chose that neighborhood, what the rents would be like, what the tenant profile would be like. Uh, and then we'll show other properties as well that have not, that uh, are, may have potential. Uh, we do these tours in the Camelton and in Oshawa. And so if people aren't in those areas, you know, just go to open houses. But again, like you don't have to know everything. For example, you know, I think the majority of investors use a realtor, right? Realtors make a lot of money. So you might as well hire a good one who's an expert, who's worth their freight. And they should do their job and their job should be to find you exactly what you want. Right now I'm not a magician. I can't negotiate like ridiculous prices from people, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I've got a decent track record at uh, identifying quality investment properties for our clients. So for example, I, again, as being someone who's really conservative and running numbers. Yeah. So I've, rem- so for example, if I look at my clients who bought in 2015, they're, because my point is I want to remove the, pan, the entire pandemic, yep. right? Because market, the market just went nuts. But from 2015 to 20, 2020, my clients, those clients earned about uh, 341% return. Just, just appreciation alone, assuming, I think I used 25% down. Again, just to be a bit conservative, 
include some renovations, whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that works out to like over 60% a year. We get, I, I always thought we got paid well. And again, I, I started being a realtor in 2010 when commissions were like three grand and now they're like 16 grand. Yeah. I thought three grand was a wonderful tra- uh, commission. So I, thought, I always thought to myself, you know, <laughs> consultants, like, you know, you work in IT, consultants yeah. get paid from 150, the expensive one with like 350. Yeah. I'm making a good wage here, right? You better act like a professional. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're you're up in that that top kind of uh, tier of of hourly rates when you run really, when you run the numbers. So that was that was what I had to live up to, right? When I was a brand new realtor, I actually worked for IBM in my division. It was full of consultants. Okay, so I knew exactly what consultant rates were. I knew how they behaved. I knew how the how they often got in trouble with the client because you know you throw the consultant under the bus. Right? Yeah, <laughs> you tell your boss it's not my fault; it's the consultant's fault. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, so if someone's new getting into real estate, how do you help them set the right expectation around what cash flow should look like in an ROI? Do you, do you talk about ranges? Do you talk about, how do you help them figure that out for themselves? I mean, I'll say, I know there's a component of of their own risk tolerance and what they want to invest in, but there's at least some boundaries or a ballpark you probably keep them playing in as opposed to. Yeah. So how do you, how do you how do you have that conversation? What does that look like? Uh, again, we're we're really boring. We often buy the same thing over and over again. We're usually buying somewhere around like a six hundred to eight hundred square foot bungalow that we can duplex or there's already duplexed, and in certain neighborhoods. So we explain to our clients like even if you get a slightly bigger one, you don't really get much more rent for it, right? You're, you have to pay a lot more for it. It doesn't make sense. We, we this is the sweet spot. And we can show them examples. If we go outside this sweet spot, this is what happens. You go inside the sweet spot on the other side, this is what happens. We use a cash flow analyzer spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. I don't like filling it in for my clients, but I'll gladly give them my assumptions. And I'll go tell them, like, you know, it's partly on you to go verify these things. You know, go talk to a property manager, verify what these rents are. Yeah. Then often they'll go on Kijiji and say, oh, no one's offering for these prices. And like, do they renovate those we do? Like, no, they don't. <laughs> right. And then, and then I'm always happy to drive them around and say, you know, this house, our client rents this house over here for this. Mm-hmm. Our client owns this house over here and rents it for this, right? Um, so we have real live data to tell people what, what things are. And again, sweet spots, you know, we just keep doing the same strategy over and over again in our markets to keep it boring. It doesn't need to be exciting. All, all these exciting things that are being out there, a lot of them a lot of people that are being promoted out there, they're hard. And they're and they don't, a lot of them don't work. A lot more variables at play too. A lot more variables at play. A lot, some of them are like circling insurance rules, which that scares me. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, you know, for example, I use, I have commercial insurance on all my properties for $2 million, $2 million liability on each of them. I, I like to sleep well at night. I'm yes. happy to overpay on insurance, allowing me to sleep well at night. You know, my bank's happy with me. <laughs> Yeah. And I, again, I'm always trying to build, my portfolio is meant to be scalable, right? I need to be able to grow. So I need to do all the things, I need to check all the boxes that make my bank happy, including having uh, proper insurance. But yeah, again, like our job to us, again, uh, I've always viewed ourselves as high price consultants. So we better deliver high results for our clients. So our job is to make these transactions as easy as possible for our clients, to, make, to get them up the learning curve as fast as possible, it's basically everything I wanted when I was a beginner. I would have avoided so many mistakes. My early my early investor career would have been so much easier. I never would have bought that house with the that was hundred that was built in eighteen eighty with the wood foundation and the dirt basement, dirt floor. Right. Oh, yeah. by the way, that house uh, leaked every time it rained. Gross. Uh, I don't know how we didn't notice, but the two car wide driveway pad was actually sloped towards the basement window. Oh, no, it was, yeah. it was as if it was, it was graded as if the, the drainage was the basement window. So yeah, every time it rained, there was water in the basement. But again, like that property would never past our past our, past our um, how we operate our business now. Yeah. So so your favorite property ideally mm-hmm. is a property that can be that can be densified. So going from single to duplex, maybe threeplex, depending on what zoning are. It's about an eight hundred, just under a thousand square feet kind of property. And then, of course, that might vary depending on the demographic and the area that you're trying to focus in. But that's basically kind of the type of property. Very entry level, it sounds like. Uh, very entry level because it's boring. Uh, for example, I've, again, I, I read a lot. 
So, for example, I follow a mortgage person on named Ron Butler on on uh, on Twitter. So, I, so for example, what Ron was saying, for example, so he, Ron is, um, I think, he's always been consistently been like his brokerage has been like usually top three brokerage in all of Ontario, maybe even Canada in terms of volume. Wow. So again, yeah. he's has access to a lot of data. So his what he was, the point he was trying to make was the market's picking up, but specifically under the million dollar mark, which is the starter home category which is where we have always focused on our, our investments. My favorite product set too, actually, is starter homes. The reason I never went to multifamily or any of that stuff, I wanted an easy exit. And price right uh, with a mortgage helper, you appeal to the biggest, the largest number of buyers possible. Yep. And I should always be able to exit if I ever needed to, you know, say divorce, for example, hopefully not, knock on wood, but then you can cash out and, and reset and do the thing and, I've always liked that about my property and yeah, I just, that's, that's just like my go-to. I just, cause when you go anything beyond that, it just shrinks so dramatically the uh, number of buyers you can appeal to. Exactly. This is still a business. I want a product where there's massive demand for it. Exactly. Both from tenants and from buyers. Yeah, it doesn't scale like what everyone wants, but I'm like, you know, I mean, it's, it's got dirt and the title still works and my house I live in. Actually, I'm in the basement right now. It's a legal suite as well. So we house hack too. We, this would have been 2016, but yeah, same kind of idea. So, And then my wife being an accountant, the, her clients who invest in duplexes have the highest percentage returns, right? So hmm. Cherry has very quality data across, uh, across 500 investors, Yeah, right? So she knows exactly what works and what doesn't work. So it's hilarious because it's really easy. Like my cousin was like telling me, hey, you know, over WhatsApp, he's like, oh, when you need to look into segregated funds. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. Let me just check with Cherry. Cherry, yeah. is segregated funds any good? And she's like, all my clients lose money in that. Like, I'm sorry, Cherry says people just lose money on these things. <laughs> oh man, that's, I never, that's a cool perspective. I've never even thought of that, right. but that's, right. she would see doing returns, all sorts of wins and, and, and losses and yeah, and see exactly what that looks like. That's brilliant. So if anyone wants to know what not to do, look at the other things I don't do. Because <laughs> again, at the end of the day, I'm still a capitalist. I will do things that make money. As long as they're ethical, morally correct, and don't hurt anyone. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll gladly have a look at them. Right? But, uh, but yeah, my portfolio is almost entirely student rentals and duplexes. Just haven't, we haven't garden suited yet. Uh, because, because Cherry and I have the advantage of having multiple streams of income. Uh, both our businesses generate good income for us. We're not in such pursuit of cash flow that I need a garden suite mm. to make my property cash flow. I'd much rather use that money for a down payment on a house. And I'm okay to, to be neutral or even down like one, 200 bucks a month because our because we have other income in order to get my equity gains. Yeah, play it for the long term. Great, because even if the market goes up 4%, you know, if, if the market only goes up 4%, and I only have 20% invested, you know, that's 4% times five, that's 20% return. Pretty boring. I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's, it's simple. And, and, you know, it's, it's an asset where even if you burn it down on the ground, there's still value in the asset in the land. So, yeah. And there's a lot of demand for lots where I invest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah, it makes, makes a ton, ton of sense for me. It's, that's why I choose, chose it as well. So. Yeah, Aaron. So, so I, I like you said, you kept, you kept things simple. I think you mentioned too, in one of your presentations I listened to, you talked about only doing one project at a time because again, keeping your eye on the ball with trades and renovations and all that stuff. If you don't do it right, you can blow tens of thousands of dollars and not have a finished property that you can't rent out. You kept that part simple, long-term. Oh, sorry. Just to add to that point, the people who did not do that are the ones who are hurting the most in this market. Right, um, like folks who have like four or ten properties that are like mid renovation and have no rent coming in, they're the ones who are going to go have to give those properties back to the bank. I, you know, I'm extremely risk averse, and and again, why I was doing only one property at a time because I only wanted one vacant property at a time. Mm-hmm. Like this real estate investing works when you have rent coming in, which is why this whole vacant house tax always thing was made me laugh. I don't know anyone personally. <laughs> I work with, I have 350 investor clients. Not one of them leaves a property vacant. <laughs> no, no. Not when you actually get in the business and to actually rent out. 
I, I wanted multiple exits on, on, on the exit side in case mm-hmm. one of my plans didn't work out. And I, yeah, so grow slowly because I couldn't understand how other people did it with a day job and still try to manage the complexities if you, well, plus I knew I know nothing about renovations or very little, mm-hmm. so I mm-hmm. could very easily get taken advantage of. And I knew that right, I could right. have easily sunk a deal I started with. So Right. Uh, yeah. I got lucky in that um, my ex-wife actually owns a, a pretty nice uh, bathroom kit and kitchen renovation company, and my father, my ex-father-in-law, was a master plumber. Hmm. So I, I got the, had the I had the experience to see a lot of projects, including living through our own renovations. So I understand the difference between like uh, a renovation job for my home versus how we would renovate one of our rental properties. Hmm. I can I can't I did some of the work myself, so I've been there. Um, but again, like everything in my business, uh, even if you have a busy day job, I used to work downtown Toronto. I worked downtown, I worked for IBM for seven years, downtown Toronto. My properties were, uh, out in Hamilton. So it's about an hour away from where I was working, mm-hmm. but it's only an hour. It's doable at least once a week to check in and then just treating my team. Well, you know, I remember, I remember we finished one basement apartment. I took my contractor team out to so everyone that worked on my property, right? And they said, wow, this is really nice. Like, what do you mean? Like, you're the first person to ever take us out for lunch. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> oh, man. Like, what? Yeah. And this <laughs> is a very popular contractor. Right? I was buying them lunch. It wasn't even the keg. I think we're in Montana or something. But I took care of my team. And I send them referrals. Everybody loves referrals. Holy. Right? Yeah. The, the one thing, too, I picked up, uh, Aaron, that I think you do quite well is you look at a problem or a challenge and you're very good at getting the spectrum of data points to understand if there's value in pursuing perhaps a, uh, an investment or not doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, talking about how you've got Cherry's insights around um, a ton of tax returns to see what works, what works, doesn't work from people like from you, you've got, you're good at getting real life data to make an informed decision about a problem that you're looking at. And I don't, I think that is is not done pro I think that's, that's a big kind of gap for a lot of people. They don't go in eyes open, I guess, really. You know, if anyone who's read the book, because I highly recommend the book, everyone read the book, uh, uh, Persuasion by Robert Cialdini. So it's an old book and it's all about influence, how to influence on people. So after everyone reads the book, now I'll take Justin Trudeau as an example and you'll exactly understand exactly why he's won elections, right? Good-looking, famous last name. Those helped a lot, right? It's yeah. a popularity contest, whatever. A lot of influencers use a lot of the same tactics to persuade people to do things. People make make relation make buying decisions based, decisions based on who they like, which is a normal human behavior. I'm cheap, <laughs> so I have an example. I have a really good example. Uh, when, You're economical. You're thrifty, Erwin. It's better words for it. Uh, Cherry and I signed up for for a timeshare, one of those timeshare things, you know, for, for like a free weekend thing if you sat in on a timeshare presentation. Yeah. So we sat on the timeshare presentation and our salesperson was actually like a past customer who loves her timeshare, right? So mm-hmm. she explained everything, how much she loved it, showed us the package and everything. And it was someone else's job to sell us, to tell us the price and all that stuff. And then like, it was a wonderful presentation, well-organized. She was lovely. Uh, he was a little bit rough around the edges. Um, but before even going in, Cherry and I decided we're not buying anything, right? Well, we have to do our own due diligence. The salesperson was really disappointed. Uh, he was actually, he actually took it, he took it as almost emotionally. <laughs> it's, like, it's like it was the insult that we didn't buy on the spot. Yeah. Nothing good, nothing good comes buying things fast on the spot when they're worth tens of thousands of dollars. Oh yeah, this is a big, it's a timeshare. It's, it was, I don't even remember how much it was, but it was a lot of money. Uh, so as soon as we walk out, I turn, I go on my phone, go on Kijiji, I type in the name of the timeshare and there's a list, there's a couple of them, people selling them for like 10 to 30 cents on the dollar. There you go. Right. But how many people sign, sign right there at the meeting versus you can pick it up on Kijiji for 10 to 30 cents on the dollar from like retired people or people who are like injured or whatever, who no longer want that negative cash flow in their life. Probably one, one out of 10. Right, but something like do that. The additional research before and, right? and not and not buying the spot because I mean the depression you're they're in that room like been in some of those before and you're like I don't have a good feeling coming out of this mm-hmm. and uh, yeah even if you have a good feeling even if you have a good feeling I still need to I still need to comparison shop yeah 
I always comparison shop. So for example, I see like if someone's offering like a midterm rental course, right? Oh, interesting. So I, I went, I literally went, I called my friends who have at least five years experience in Airbnb, right? Like, yeah. Oh, what are you seeing in the market? What are you seeing for your Airbnbs, right? I called my one client. So uh, Brian's going to come back to my show. He's ex-CRA. He actually retired on his Airbnb income. So Brian, how's, how are things going? You know, because he, uh, he has two vacation properties in Niagara Falls, two in Kingston. True vacation properties. They're meant mm-hmm. for vacation. They all have hot tubs, right? And he says to me, uh, yeah, uh, uh, this past Q4 was the worst Q4 I've had in a long time. Even worse than 2019. Yeah. I was like, whoa, that's, that's not what people are telling me on, you know, I'm seeing all these ads for like, yeah. uh, for our housing arbitrage, whatnot. <laughs> right? Like, that's not, that's not consistent. I call another my client. Who has uh, who has two of the top five VRBOs in all of Hamilton? Okay, right? uh, and she said she's telling me two of her properties never before she's having a tough time mid term renting renting them, right? First time first time ever. And so what's the what's the what what's the problem here? What's everyone talking? What, what do they think the issue is when you're doing the research here? I'm curious. Two things: the recreation properties are probably down because of uh, the economy is probably turning. Yeah, right. People are yeah. just coming down on their spending. Uh, my friend with mid term rentals. Uh, are both of our guests would be this more, there's more competition than ever. What's a midterm rental? What, like a couple months? Over 30 days. Over 30 days. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the strategies do work. They're not working as, they, as well as they used to. Mm. Right. I just think people need to know these things. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then I explain these things to my clients. Like, I want a midterm rental list. Like, okay. Not in these areas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Basically yeah. all Hamilton. <laughs> do not do it in here. Right? Right? And my other client who's doing, who's doing fantastic in East Downtown, Toronto. Right? Because there's, she has like no competition. So she's getting like over $6,000 a month <laughs> for half of a duplex. <laughs> wow. That is wild. Yeah. So it's furnished and all that. But yeah. yeah. But again, and she has parking. Again, a rarity in downtown Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> so again, my point is that uh, every strategy works here and there. Nothing is works perfectly everywhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. But again, but the person selling you a course is not going to tell you that. Right? No. No, I'd agree like, with you there for sure. Like I'm here to sell my clients stuff. But I'm here to sell them stuff that's going to work for them. Yeah. Right. Because uh, the way you know, for, here's the lesson for all the realtors out there: if you want a successful realtor business, have successful clients. Because you're going to tell everybody. You're going to tell their friends, their family, their coworkers that they are a successful real estate investor. And they'll ask how you did it. Right? So all these realtors that just look at, look at people, investors at commissions, like that's, that's short term. It'll work for a short term. Yeah. Not so much in the long term. Yeah. The repeat business and the reputation really goes. Yeah. Goes the, goes the length. And I'll go on the record too when I disagree with my clients. I'm not perfect. I, you know, I, I'm, there's one property. I remember I told my client, I don't like this one. She bought it anyways. It's doing great. But generally I've been right. <laughs> and that's what you pay for. Yeah. Yeah. No, oh, that's awesome. Um, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Hey, Aaron, I really appreciate you coming out here uh, and, and spending some time on the podcast for rent conversations are better than rental industry. So it's right up the alley. And uh, uh, as always, I always do enjoy listening and talking with you because every time I have a conversation, I learn something new. So I appreciate it. Oh, Mackenzie, can I leave this one point? Yeah. Uh, this is for, so I had, I had a strategy call with, uh, with someone just two weeks ago. I asked her what are, are her limiting beliefs. She said, I'm not worthy. So I said, please explain that to me. She's saying that how people, she's under the, under the impression that people who make a lot of money took it from someone. They're bad people. And I said, there are those people. So anyone who's been to her, I don't know what you call it in Alberta. So in Ontario, we have landlord tenant board. So that's where we actually, it's kind of like a courtroom, right? It's kind of yep. similar to a court experience. RTDRS is about the equivalent here. It's, it's the lower tribunal below the court system. Yeah. So the same here. It's not proper court. These aren't judges. These are adjudicators. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've sat in on them because, you know, I'm having an issue with a tenant. And in my experience, the majority of the cases, I would rule in favor of the tenant. As in, it's the landlord that's, that's wrong. And sometimes they're terribly wrong. Sometimes they're bad people, right? There's a lot of bad landlords out there. It's unfortunate, but it's true. It's, it's, it's very unfortunate. So I, when, I say, when I said to this lady, are you a good person? She says, yes. Would people benefit from you? Benefit by renting from you? Say, yes. Then 
you kind of owe it to people. <laughs> right? Take market share away from these awful people. Absolutely. Right? Every group or demographic has has the bad apples in them, right? And, and landlording is certainly no difference. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're going to get me back in my soapbox, but maybe another episode talking about how we can improve legislation and what it needs to, to do. And, 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 you know, a question I'll, I'll leave, this is probably another, again, feature topic is, uh, what is the true lack of participation in our marketplace in the rental industry because of, of poor legislation and, and, or the support systems to remedy, you know, disagreements. And if that system's not working, does it give you the confidence as an individual to get into it without taking a huge financial loss? It's pretty much the number one or two, it's usually the number one um, objection I get from people is what the tenant trashes my property. And what they don't understand is you need to start with screening. <laughs> you need to start with services like single key, right? Because I always say to them, you know, whatever article you read, read the whole thing. Tell me if they did a credit check. <laughs> pretty much the answer is always they never did a credit check when they had a professional, yeah. on those articles where they had a professional tenant. Yeah. Didn't even do a credit check. You can just do single key. <laughs> Stupid easy. It's it's like cost. What does it cost for the tenant? Yeah, it's twenty five bucks for uh, inter, yeah twenty five bucks for a report. And you look in hindsight the the cost you or the the the, the liability you're, you're mitigating from doing a an eviction. Mm-hmm. It's it's not even it's not even a percent on the dollar. It's not even a penny. We're talking yeah. fractions of cents in in the long run of what you're you're, you're preventing. So again, it goes down to knowledge. I find that a lot of novices, if they're armed with a little bit of knowledge, preferably more, or have a team of knowledgeable experts, they can avoid a lot of the risks. And then we can get more participation. Absolutely. Love it. Wow. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this episode. I really appreciate it. If you haven't already, please check out singlekey.com. They are the main sponsor of this podcast. And simply put, it wouldn't be possible without them. We want your feedback. So again, if you haven't done that and you've probably already heard the plug, but send us an email at forrent at singlekey.com. We want it all. Comments, suggestions, lessons learned, anything that we can tie into this collective conversation with all these different perspectives to truly better the rental industry. We want it all. So let us know what you're thinking. We'll incorporate it into future shows. And if you haven't already and you want to, please subscribe to us and provide us a rating on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.